man. Um, so we're in this giant, like collective, you know, that like psychological experiment of like people at different stages of like childhood development. Well, do you want the big candy bar later or the small candy bar now? Right. We're in this massive, like, do you want the small candy bar now and possibly kill some bitches or big candy bar later? And people are still like small candy bar now. And it's kind of <laughs> blowing my mind. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Bill's manager, Anand Harsh, editor-in-chief of TheUns.com. With each passing day, my body grows more frail from lack of proper nutrients and sunlight. Not sure whether a vaccine will be created and disseminated before I wither away. Yet time marches on and I continue to do these intros, spitting in the face of God. We've got a great episode for you today. Bill's guest is Bobby West, a.k.a. Aerodime. He's a multi-instrumentalist and field recorder who produces down-tempo, IDM, psychedelic trip-hop, and ambient music. He's remixed Desert Dwellers, Perungi, Liquid Bloom, Foxtail, and more, and has had even more remixers of his own tracks, including a certain Mr. Charles I. Earlier this month, he released a new album, Steep Dreams, which has a ton of special guests like violinist Jessica Borth, Cello Joe, Craftle, and more, and has an insanely granular breakdown of each track on Bandcamp if you're into that sort of thing. We've had a lot of new subscribers jumping on board the podcast Patreon this week. Thank you so much. We really appreciate the support. Subscribers to the Mr. Bill Patreon get episodes a full week before listeners get the free feed action, and early access is available to listeners at all subscription levels. Patrons can also get bonus episodes, merch, Discord roles, and so much more. Just head over to patreon.com slash Tunes to support the show. Finally, go to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up as a hardcore Abletoneer. You get full access to Bill's project files and tutorials, and there are some special surprises coming around the corner for website users. All right, here's Bill's episode with Aerothine. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Cool, man. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so you were just saying it's been a crazy week for you because you just released an album and then you yeah. bought a Fender Rhodes. Oh, yeah, that happened. Me and my roommate just went out and picked one up. Just found a good deal at just the right moment. Refurbished thing uh, back when they still had wooden keys. So I've just been playing that thing in the living room and getting all hyped up. I almost forgot what time it was. Are you a, a keys player? A little bit. It's uh, probably like the main way that I've got my like my hands connected to melody over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like being a keys player makes the most sense as an electronic musician. It seems like MIDI going into a computer goes in the best via a keyboard rather than like, you know, they've tried to make a bunch of different shit at this point, like MIDI guitars and MIDI yeah. wind instruments and... Uh, I guess drum MIDI drums work pretty well. They do, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Not, I don't know. It feels like keyboards still are um, like the most expressive in terms of 
you know they can they have like aftertouch a lot of the time and like you know weird like expressive expressive stuff like mod wheels and pitch bends totally it seems really direct like a one-to-one relationship between like hitting a button basically a key and uh having a midi note being produced and everything definitely seen some people do some amazing shit with other instruments like obviously like the flashbulb and the midi guitar stuff that he does Mm. sometimes and uh I've got an iwi over here too. Clarinet was my first instrument, and uh, you know about those things—the electronic wind instrument you're just mentioning. I think. Yeah, I've seen them. I've never played one, but yeah, they look pretty interesting. It's pretty intuitive, surprisingly, like the way that the, each note responds to your breath, and can really get a lot of like expressive control real fast without knowing that much about, you know, with like a saxophone or a clarinet or. A flute, you know, it takes some time to get your mouth used to exactly how you have to interface with the instrument. But with the iwi, it's just basically reading whether or not you're touching the buttons and breathing into it. So how does that work? Because um, with a MIDI keyboard, obviously there's like, you know, you press a key down, there's like some form of switch or, you know, some something like that, an actuator or something under the key that's being yeah. hit. And then that uh, you know, probably goes into some sort of internal interface within the the MIDI controller, and then that spits out you know packets of numbers which go to your computer as MIDI. Um, yeah, totally. <clears throat> I think the it's like a sixteen packet number where like I don't know some numbers mean vol- send the velocity information, some send some other shit. Um, don't yeah. quote me on that. I'm not hundred percent. But how, how does the uh, clarinet work in that way? Because you breathe into it. So what is it that's getting triggered to send the MIDI? Yeah. So likewise, uh, yeah, don't quote me either. Cause, uh, definitely not my forte, the whole, the technological side of it. I'm more of the user end, but, um, but best I can tell, uh, if you are, if it detects that you're breathing into it, it, the note is on and which note it is, is based on how many of the buttons you have held down. Basically they're like touch sensitive pads. So it says like, okay, uh, breath starts here. The note starts you know, five of the keys are held down. It's whatever it is, a G or something. And then until you either change the fingering or stop breathing, it just maintains creating that note. And if the fingering changes while the breath is going on, it starts a new note, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like velocity has something to do with how hard you're breathing. I think actually velocity is used for, uh, with that instrument, the value called velocity has something to do with like uh, the initial like impact like the initial volume of the note and some other cc is doing the um you know like how like the amp envelope if you will like moves around uh based on like how hard you're blowing at that moment right because it's a long handheld instrument it seems maybe like it would be smart to put some sort of accelerometer in the end of it or something right because then you could like move the thing up and down and left and right and stuff and you could probably send some other information that way one thing i i realized when i was doing a lot of live shows is that um it's really not, not that we do those anymore right <laughs> yeah well this was in like 2016 I, I haven't really done live shows since then anyway i've kind of just been djing since then oh shit. but right. uh one thing i noticed was that um it's super important from from uh from like my perspective putting the show together to do things that the crowd can like easily understand because it's super easy right with midi instruments and stuff like that to be up on stage and you just sort of look like a guy sending emails but like 
you're really doing a lot of technical stuff like button pushing and triggering right. stuff or whatever. You know, like the classic thing is the APC sets where like somebody will be using an APC 40 <clears throat> and they'll be on stage doing a lot of like probably really technical stuff, but it's like impossible as a crowd member to appreciate it because you can't see what they're doing. You don't know what they've mapped to what and stuff like that. It's almost like you need uh supercilious uh, pointed out a, pretty like when i explained this to him he, he he had a pretty funny idea he was like you just need a giant midi fighter that you just like punch with boxing gloves or something because <laughs> then it's like super easy right because you, you you punch it a sound happens and the crowd goes i see you punch the thing and a sound happened and like, the and sound they, happened yeah yeah they like put one and one together and it makes sense uh whereas yeah other doing these sort of like laptopy sets become sort of non-interesting but that's why i think it'd be cool to put an accelerometer in the end of something like a totally. clarinet or whatever because it's like you know you get this extra thing of expression that you could attach to like filters or something i feel like there's a lot you can do with that as a tool um you can send the midi to like the proprietary uh, like vst that comes with it basically that's like made to work really well with it has all the emulators in it or you could send it to other instruments map the cc's to other shit um the one that i got uh got it last summer was um like the the USB EWI, and that one doesn't have like wireless by default, but just like a little bit of YouTube trolling around and uh, figured out a method a couple people had come up with to just like basically Velcro like a cell phone charger, a portable cell phone charger to the side of it, and plug a like a wireless like a like Bluetooth MIDI transmitter into it with a really short USB cord, and like plug that into the cell phone charger, and then plug the receiver into you know, the USB port in your computer or something. And uh, so with that, I've been able to like hop off the stage with the thing and just like, you know, run around with people and like play the flute and, you know, <laughs> do stuff like that. And that, um, yeah, it doesn't really change the playability of it in terms of like what you're doing with it for the sound, but just being able to like, you know, get out from behind the computer and do something interactive like that. Like maybe the end of a set could be like an ambient drone and, you know, throw a ton of reverb on the flute and just like play perfect fifths for a while, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's fun. I mean, it's a lot easier to do than miking, uh, an acoustic flute at an electronic music show, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Flutes are sick. So my, my girlfriend's a flute player actually. And the other night, um, I was just like pulling up random pieces of sheet music for her to play. And I, it's so impressive to me as like an electronic yeah. musician to just see someone play a real instrument <laughs> like off sheet music. Yeah. I'm like what? You're, you can just like play that shit in real time. That's insane. You, you're like feeding the code into the program in their head. They have yeah, exactly, installed, yeah. you know, and they're just like, Oh, that goes. Do, 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 do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it just seems so like instantly gratifying and like fun. Uh, but it's a lot so, of work, yeah. right, to get that good at an instrument. Big time, man. I mean, so I've I've always been like uh, primarily like coming at the thing from at least as long as I can remember the point of view of like working with the sound. My primary like um, you know route of like musical expression is like in the production side of things, and I love playing instruments with my hands. It feels like it's good for my soul. It feels like it gets me connected, you know, with the songs. Like I come up with stuff that way, um, but like. I feel like if I play several instruments at like a semi passable level, that's enough for me in the studio to like have a lot of fun with a bunch of different tools. But meanwhile, like my roommate downstairs playing with the Rhodes right now is classically trained pianist and he'll play Chopin on the thing and play Liszt. And I've never heard shit like that played on a Rhodes before. Wow. So trippy. And uh, just thinking about like how many years it takes to, of, of single pointed focus really to be able to even do stuff like that. 
uh, let alone like you're saying, look at a sheet of paper with little marks on it and be able to translate that into something, you know, like that incredibly complex playing with yeah. 10 fingers and, you know, nothing new. Of course, humans are pretty amazing comes to that, but now we get robots to do stuff like that for us. Yeah. Like pianolas and stuff like that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I find, yeah, classical in general is something that I f- feel like I sort of almost understand why it's cool, but not quiet. Like I under, from a listening perspective, right? There's a few classical pieces that I can listen to mostly by like Rachmaninoff or something where I'm like, oh, this yep. is pretty fucking cool. Or List has a few cool ones where I'm like, definitely pretty insane. Do you know um, La Campanella? I don't know I don't. if I'm pronouncing that right. Oh man, so good. Yeah, so there's a few, but a lot of it I'm just like, eh, this just sounds like you're trying to use all the notes for the sake of it or whatever. And it just like, to me, it doesn't sound like, uh, it sounds like, and uh, this is probably going to get like so much hate if, <laughs> if somebody in the classical hears this, but to me it sounds like immature songwriting. It sounds it sounds how, I've, ha- I've been subject to this as well back in the day, or I probably still am, but there was something that I did a lot more when I first started writing music that I don't do as much now, which is like, I would just try to add as much as possible into every song. Right. Yeah. Fill every little gap and explore every idea. Yeah. And the problem with doing that is like, you lose all contrast and then everything just sounds gray. Whereas, you know, if you have a classical song, it can be impressive and there can be every note being used and every chord being used and like all this insane shit. But if you're doing it all the time, it ends up just sounding gray kind of like a dream theater song right like dream theater is insanely technical and insanely impressive but because they're being insanely technical and insanely impressive all the time you're just like oh yeah it's whatever it becomes normalized to your ear um yeah i love the idea of using that as a kind of dynamic to make songs really effective you know and uh if you think about it i would rather like uh exercise my like abilities in like developing myself as a musician by like overdoing it and then scaling back versus like always underdoing it. And then like, you know, trying to make it more complex afterwards or something, you know, um, you know, could you imagine like, uh, you know, never pushing yourself and then suddenly having to. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, yeah, a good example of that is a video I watched today online, uh, by this guy called Charlie Puth. Have you, have you heard of that guy? No. He's a pop guy and he made this song that I think on Spotify at this point has like billions of plays. Um, you would have heard it for sure. It's like a really poppy song that got massively popular. And yeah, he's uh, he has perfect pitch. I and live he's under also, a rock. <laughs> you, if, if you've gone into a shop at all, like oh, damn. in the last year, you've probably heard. Well, you may not have because of COVID, I guess. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, so he has perfect pitch and he's like an insane jazz player. And if you watch him just like he has Instagram stories and stuff. And if you watch him playing on there, he's crazy, man. And jazz people like break down his stuff and on these Instagram stories and, you know, look at it as if it's some really crazy, impressive thing. But if you listen to his music, it sounds like just the like really nice standard pop music. But you can kind of tell that it's intelligent. And I feel like that's kind of the the ultimate songwriting, right? Is when you can make something that your average person can listen to and think, oh, this is cool. But somebody like me or, you know, somebody who has a fairly, 
uh, you know, my I would say my ear is like fairly um, trained to listen for like technical stuff. Right. And I can listen to his stuff and still tell that it's technical and intelligent, even though it's yeah. incredibly simple. Being that sweet combination of palatable, but still deep, you know? Right. It's a, it's a tough thing to do. Man, I remember when I really got turned on to electronic music in the first place, um, was I think 12 and a friend of mine showed me some Aphex Twin because I was like looking for so like just looking for the edgiest music I could find. And I thought that that would be something made with guitars at the time, you know, but then in my face comes the, the blast of, uh, the IDM world. And I realized that that's like the edgiest, most like, you know, rule defying kind of free place that music had at the moment, I guess it felt like that to me. And, um, and that was like what initially like sparked like the desire to really get my hands on the thing and get, um, you know, engaged with this kind of music, um, was just the idea that, um, you know, everything I knew about music, I thought could be like thrown out completely for a little while. I didn't want to be involved. I didn't want to make anything that like, um, could be like described by sheet music. I didn't want to make anything that, uh, sounded like anything I'd ever heard. And I wanted it to be hard to listen to and edgy and everything, which is funny thing considering, you know, fast forward some years and probably my most successful pieces of music have been really like pretty down tempo stuff that like is kind of the polar opposite from like what got me engaged with it. And there was this kind of, uh, yeah, I swear there was like a, (laughs) like a thread here. Um, this attitude of like, um, you know, trying to make the thing like really clever or trying to make the thing like something that, uh, you know, was more complicated than something else or anything like that. Like it was a really, uh, compelling idea for me for a while. And it really like pushed me to like try out a bunch of crazy shit. And then at some point, like there comes that moment where, um, you know, you realize that there, you know, it gets a lot more interesting when the thing is a communication that it's not just like a insane monologue all the time you know where there's actually like a you know something that can be understood you know and can be resonated with and that um you know the the palatable stuff is like a gateway to the more challenging stuff like you you don't want to just like mainline cayenne pepper like you want like a little bit of spice on you know something that's like more immediately gratifying as is you know right um did you find through that process of uh getting into music and wanting to make sort of really intense, obscure stuff and then making down-tempo stuff. Uh, did you yeah. find like to make that down-tempo stuff, it, it caused you uh, to go through like a little bit of an identity crisis because like you sort of yeah. built your identity on this, like I want to make insane shit. So even more of an identity crisis uh, because that was what um, like my, like probably first major breaks, if you will, relative to my own career have been, uh, I don't know, like the first album that if I look at like the stats of my like downloads on Bandcamp over the years or something, there's a clear moment where that first big down tempo album came out, you know, where it just compared to whatever this big spike on the map compared to whatever was happening beforehand and stuff. And there's this interesting thing that happens where people, you know, hear something for the first time, see the name associated with it. And to that person, that is then like what that name is. Like, that's what you do, you know? And when my audience expanded several times, pretty much in the course of 
a month or two, really. And then steadily over the course of the years following that, there were a lot of people who didn't even know that like the glitchy, edgy stuff was more like kind of where my roots were. That like when I started making electronic music, I was like trying to make the computer crash, not trying to meditate, you know? <laughs> yeah. So have have you been then a little bit lumped into the kind of Wook community then? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, but I mean, you know, some for some reasons I can understand. And also there's like uh it's just really easy to categorize people, you know, based on uh, you know, your first experiences are the first things that you associate with them, you know. Right. It's I mean like shit, if... look at me, man. <laughs> Well, it's like, you know, if Spongle came out and, you know, started writing a hip hop album or something or like a dubstep yeah. album, I'd probably <laughs> be pretty confused because, you know, it's not yeah. the first experience that I had with his music. And, you know, he's at this point, his you know, whole brand is built around this kind of world music type idea stuff. Um, so I can understand that. I, I feel like I've had a little bit of an issue with that in my career in that um, I'm kind of like a little neurotic and I just like to do all sorts of shit, right? Like I, I like to do this podcast i like to make tutorials i like to do sample packs i like to uh write yeah. dubstep i like to write down tempo i like to write uh, ambient music like i like to just Same. write a bunch of shit and i also like to put it all out i don't like yep. to s- sit on it right and i also don't like uh, i've thought about this a ton of times i'm like should i multiple aliases yeah like should yep. i do multiple aliases and i kind of came to the conclusion that like even if I did do like other aliases, all that's going to happen is there's just going to be more aliases that just put out less music kind of thing. Whereas, yeah, you know, if I just have my my Mister Bill thing, it cannot. It just it can just be an umbrella for everything. But it also kind of requires people to put in this like work of figuring out uh, the rest of my shit a little bit, you know, like it forces people to do a little bit more work to understand the project. But, um, I think I'm comfortable with that. Uh, but it comes at a cost, right? It comes at like a a financial and logistical and career wise kind of cost. It has to do with your priorities. Uh, it has to do with, uh, whether or not the single most important thing is making all the smoothest marketing decisions or whether or not like, it's a priority for you as a musician to stretch people's boundaries a little bit or to like introduce people to new ideas, expand people's taste a little bit. Like I feel that um, I really appreciate music that, uh, you know, has a very consistent vibe associated with like a name and a persona and everything and what value that is and how reliable that can be for a listener. But also some of the musicians that have most inspired me, most stretched me as a person, emotionally, technically, everything, were the ones that uh, threw me some curveballs. And, you know, I mentioned Aphex Twin and the Flashbulb already, great examples of that, you know, people who have um, full, like, ambient albums under those names, you know, as well as some of the most stimulating, most, like, fast-paced, multi-layered, intertwined stuff you could imagine and everything in between. Um yeah, I mean, lots of people are doing that. Tipper's doing that, you know. Um, but, you know, uh, it's not something you have to do. But, man, if I couldn't make ambient music, I'd go crazy. And if I couldn't make, like, 200 BPM glitch bangers, I'd, I'd go crazy. You know, there's a time and a place. Right. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know, I can't remember who it was, Porter Robinson, maybe, or Madion, um, who said uh, something along the lines of, if you just, if you don't like 
a genre of music or something and you just don't understand the context under which it needs to be appreciated. Yeah, there's a reason why people make the things they make. It's a good thing to assume. Um, so I'm not like super familiar with your project. You sent me your album the other day and yeah. uh, and I listened to the one track that you suggested I listened to, which was yeah, Strong Tea. Strong Tea, yeah. That's right, that's um, right. Yeah, it was a great a great tune. I feel like it was, um, it reminded me man. of, yeah, of course. I'm going to listen to the rest of the album for sure. Weird. Um, I've just been super busy putting this studio together. <laughs> But it uh, it reminded me a lot of Tipper. Um, and oh, yeah, that's was, a compliment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say so. He's a great producer. Um, yeah, paved a or yeah, blazed a lot of trails, if you will. He really did. So yeah, I think without him, the like the whole, you know, the stuff that say I'm doing and you're doing and like Jade Cicada, Detox Unit, Kill Smith. Um, uh, I don't know who else, Bog Trotter. Um, it's just like a ton of those kind of artists just wouldn't have careers, I feel like. Or they maybe would, but in a, it would be very different for those kind They'd of be artists, different. right? Yeah. yeah. Like the careers would be not as well paved as. And that goes like. back further too, because people pave the road for Tipper. And yeah. Um, yeah, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, right? And hopefully uh, every once in a while something fresh gets said along the way. Right. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. But anyway, so, um, as I said, I'm not super familiar with your project and stuff. So I hit up Anan today who it was yeah. his idea for us to do a podcast. And I was like, uh, what should I talk to you with me about? And he was like, you should talk to him about the prevalence of pseudoscience in hippie communities. Oh my God. <laughs> You're um, going to get me crucified. <laughs> no, no. I, I think we can talk about this. It's fine. Um, oh, yeah. so which, which, uh, which pseudosciencey things are you and why 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 would Anand say that? Like, does, oh, probably okay? because uh, shit, man. I think just because uh, I don't know, like because I, I've definitely been like uh, for the past ten years um, woven into the the like transformational festival community in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I don't like feel completely like an insider or completely like an outsider with all that. Um, but uh, but also because uh, when you know this year started getting really interesting. And it became uh, more than just like, you know, some cute, tolerable thing for people to just have like kind of a absurd, unfalsifiable ideas. Like <laughs> it suddenly became a liability, you know, um, right. when the oh, pandemic yeah. began and everything, you know. Yeah, it's like a public uh, so, health issue right now for people so to for, have like opinions that are wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, you know, it's one thing to like have an opinion and it's, you know, <laughs> it's another thing to like... Uh, <laughs> well yeah just to choose to ignore information that could save people's lives i mean that's oh man uh just i guess i made some facebook posts and stuff <laughs> earlier in the year uh when all this was going on i guess uh came off pretty opinionated and took uh spent a lot of energy uh <laughs> going back and forth with people about it i've kind of slowed down on that so i can get some more music done but right <laughs> uh what, what was the opinion that you posted Oh man, just, well, essentially, um, first off that it's real, you know, that, that the virus is real. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty you know? normal opinion to have, I would say. Yeah. Um, and you know, that germs are real. I've had to have mm -hmm. this conversation. <laughs> people who don't believe that. Um, people, there's people that don't believe that germs are real. Germ theory is a hoax, man. 
why like what's the why would they think that what does anybody you have know, to gain i, I guess from... there's a lo- oh man oh what does anybody have to gain good question i mean like well this is i have this question the most about flat earth like what does anyone have to gain from convincing you that the earth is flat i'm glad you brought that up man i mean a lot of it has to do with the feeling of knowing something that the rest of people like that most people don't know feeling like you're part of an in-group or that you have secret knowledge you know and um you know and people really really get deep in that i think we all have like at least a little tiny glimmer of that somewhere you know uh we all have like well maybe not all many of us i don't know but it's a whole other thing when you know like the feeling of having to i don't know like on principle just take whatever conventional knowledge is and just be a contrarian about it and then identify with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's that's the full explanation for it's a nuanced thing and everybody's got their own reasons. And I mean, a lot of it is most people just unfortunately aren't really scientifically literate, um, can't really like navigate that information with any degree of like, even like checking their own cognitive biases along the way. It's just not what people do naturally. People more want to prove themselves right than prove themselves wrong. Right. Damn. I'm not a scientist either though. I just, I don't feel like it's my, (laughs) my call. If, if there's a disease spreading around the world, contagious, surreptitious sneaking up on us before we even know we have it kind of thing. And it's killing people and leaving other people more than the people it kills leaving them permanently or at least long-term uh, disabled or damaged in some kind of way, neurological, physical, you mm-hmm. know, I will, you know, it's, it's terrifying, man. I just don't want to be like, a, I feel like it, it, the idea that, you know, because it's inconvenient for me to, you know, cancel my plans for a year that uh, I would like be willing to let somebody die over that. I just can't imagine. It's absurd. Right. Which is an, yeah, so it's it's interesting that you're in this sort of like transformational hippie festival scene as your primary sort of uh, place that people listen to your music. So I'm assuming, and and you have these, this way of this outlook, which seems super reasonable and normal, but also fairly different to a lot of the outlooks that you see in that scene. So you must have these conversations like quite often, right? Yeah. As, as often as I let myself. You know, because uh, there's <laughs> so they're always just, they're just always there to be had, basically. Yeah, yeah. You can post almost anything on social media, and somebody will show up to tell you you're wrong. So, <laughs> um, and that I've I've definitely uh, in the in the time since the pandemic began, um, terminated more like social media connections than probably like the past decade leading up to it. But also, you know, allowed a lot more in because of that at the same time. It was kind of like a little trade-off, like, oh man, I need to surround myself by people who like give a fuck about other people and people who are like relatively lucid, you know, (laughs) as much as possible. I don't want to like shut people out just for having weird ideas, you know, and like, I've got weird ideas. We've all got weird ideas. Universe is weird as hell, but like, man, sometimes like when it comes to like keeping people safe looking out for people like not hurting people unintentionally or not you know intentionally or not um you kind of have to act in good faith here and there you know situation like this might be one of those situations and uh, there's contradictory opinions i hold about a lot of stuff you know and i don't think i'm right about everything or that i know everything um that's you know step one honestly but um 
you know, like, man, I, you know, on principle support the protests, for example, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, like, I also don't want the virus to spread. Yeah, those like have there's they well the um, protests didn't really cause a spike in the virus. Memorial Day did. That's what it looks like. Yeah, that is what it looks like. Yeah, I, I actually yeah. went to a protest in San Francisco uh, at City Hall, which was really cool. That's awesome, man. But yeah, it's you know protesters seem pretty reasonable. They're all wearing masks. They're all socially distancing, from what I could tell at the one that I was at, at least. Um, and yeah, the, there was no actual data spike in. Uh, yep. in, in corona cases because of it but yeah like i said from memorial day the weekend before that there was which was which is really interesting yeah, yeah. i think there may have been one from july 4 as well not 100 percent on that though yeah a lot of questions about that i mean yeah i guess a, a protest isn't exactly like a picnic you know no. um yeah <laughs> so what about what about more benign uh sort of views that people in the transformational hippie circuit have like the 432 hertz stuff for instance that's a great question man i i had a really i'll try it try and make it concise this thing but i had a really funny experience with a like a 432 true believer kind of guy setting up a, for a, a little show in uh on on the island of maui and, and um, before we go forward though we should yeah. explain what a 432 oh, hertz man. true believer is Ooh, uh, essentially, uh, somebody who believes that, um, there's a, a particular, uh, frequency Hertz value, uh, Hertz meaning cycles per second, uh, which is more in tune or less in tune with the, like the fundamental fabric of the universe or the earth or nature or something like that. And that essentially that using some reference pitch or another, could be better or worse fundamentally for like, you know, your health or for like people's psychological well-being. Uh, and there's this notion that uh, apparently at like a wave that <laughs> repeats 432 times per second, which second, by the way, is a human invention that hasn't existed very long, um, is uh, more in tune with the earth or the cosmos and therefore better. And that uh, 440 hertz, the standard reference pitch for the note a uh is somehow oftentimes they believe bad or causes people psychological distress or makes people complacent or <laughs> well, was, uh, and apparently was invented by nazis right right which is bullshit but yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I so mean, my understanding is that the 440 hertz thing was so people could like tune their instruments easy to each other for whatever reason and so for, it was a compromise yeah, and I think singers or something had it was had something to do with singers. Yeah, it, well, it has to do with uh, yeah vocal range. Um, I mean, obviously, singers have strained their voices more to sing a little higher. If you like tune down a little bit, you could like maybe reach some. You could reach that high C or something um, without straining your voice as much. Um, man, there's so much to say about this, really, and like a lot of people have gone in depth about it. Uh, you know, on the internets already. One one of my favorite things to point out to people who tell me that the ancients tuned to 432, despite the fact that nobody had a tuning fork before, you know, the 1700s or something, mm -hmm. um, maybe 1600s. Um, shit, I could be wrong about 
the exact moment, but just uh, the oldest acoustic chamber that has so far been excavated, the Oracle Chamber at Malta, actually resonates at 110 hertz, an octave of 440, which is really <laughs> interesting that they that they kind of nailed that frequency. Wait, I mean, it's is, a comfortable one. What is this acoustic chamber? Yeah, so it's part of this temple in Malta, this uh, like multi-thousand-year-old archaeological site. And there's a like a room, an acoustic room like meant for singing that happens to resonate really strong around 110 hertz which uh you know means that was somebody's comfort zone a few thousand years ago you know wait um so they chiseled out a room specifically to sing in oh yeah this is common like in churches and temples and like places that uh people sing for worship and i mean also like i mean they had a like amphitheaters, right? Like a long time ago in Greece, right? Um, I'm not sure exactly. Do you think they, um, do you think they intentionally made it 110 hertz though? Cause like you said, no one could measure. No, it. actually. No, I don't think they did. I think that they felt it out. Okay. I think that they always felt it out. You know, I think that, uh, like, no, you know, there wasn't a new, uh, the second didn't exist first of all, until a few hundred years ago. And, uh, it's like, not a clean division of the day, by the way, despite what some YouTube videos will tell you, it's not, not an exact division of like the length of right, an earth day and the earth every, day is changing too. Yeah. Like every four years we need to delete a day from the calendar and shit like that. Right. Yeah. Tons of shit like that piling up. Um, and so, yeah, so, the, the rate is changing over time too. But uh, I, I think it's just important that people understand that like the goal is harmony, you know, and that uh, that harmony is relative. And that, uh, yeah, and that, that the the way that we hear, I don't know, there's so much more important in music than reference pitch. Um, just uh, the whole thing about the guy in, in Maui, um, there was a guy who approached me while I was setting up for a small show out there in the jungle and uh, uh, just like three three guys actually, and this one guy particularly vocal, uh, walks up to me while I'm plugging things into other things and he's like, hey man, you going to throw down some 432 beats? <laughs> and so I'm just kind of doing my thing and i'm like you know um actually most of my music isn't isn't tuned to 432 but i i do put a lot of you know put a lot of love into it i do like you know you know put a lot of care into making it sound the way it sounds and uh means a lot to me and i hope you enjoy it you know and uh he's like man don't you don't you know about 432 i'm like i don't really you know it's not really my uh i don't really believe in that <laughs> and he starts trying to tell me his thing um i've heard it um and i noticed he was carrying a like a vajra bell do you know what like a, a vajra is like the hindu like right. like um so he's carrying this like hindu looking uh bell with him and i had my microphone set up and i had ableton open i had spectrum open and i asked him to ring his bell into my microphone and he did and it rings out at 440 hertz and i showed it to him <laughs> and he looked horrified yeah. Like the moment before is it was like a great object, you know, it was a like the moment before it was like a holy thing. It was his his, you know, sacred bell and and like all it took was looking at the meter one time and <laughs> suddenly it's suspect, you know. Doesn't feel that's so a, good anymore. Yeah, that's a funny thing, right? Looking at meters can kind of fuck your whole view on how something sounds. And it's something I try not to worry about too much anymore. Like all the flashing lights and blinking buttons and shit in Ableton, I just ignore them for the most part at this point. Even if they're like clipping their ass off, I'm like, who gives a shit if it sounds fine? It's fine. Um, Man, I've, yeah, but I'm, I'm I had, on that page. 
Yeah, I was so subject to it when I first started producing though. I was like every like thing on my compressor, for instance, had to be round numbers. Like I couldn't leave something at like like the threshold uh-huh. at like negative 17.1 or something. I would, I would uh-huh. just like round it up to like negative 17 or whatever, but which doesn't make any sense at all. But I don't know, it was just some like OCD shit that I had. At least it's up. not like only prime numbers. or. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Like, yeah, you're only even numbers or something. Yeah, integers. I mean, speaking of that, that's like one of the fucked up things about like uh, the, you know, believing in it, like, a particular Hertz value being like spot on right on the nose, like the sacred frequency that, you know, would just happen to be a specific exact number of cycles per second when the second is like such a new thing. Um, also, I, if I, I, I assume it, it would probably be like, you know, 433.786 or something, you know, if anything. Well, it changes too with altitude and temperature. So yeah, it depends um, on if you're talking about the earth or the cosmos, right? You know, right. But, but I mean, on, let's just uh, talk about the earth, right? Cause that's sure, where, we, yeah, where yeah. we, where we live. Um, yep. Here we are. So Here we are. are. Yeah. If you, if you play, um, for instance, I have a sound calibrator for an acoustic mic. Uh, so I have to tune this studio that I'm in. Right. So I had to buy what's called a, a calibrator for a test microphone. And what you do is you put this calibrator on the end of the test microphone plays a, uh, one kilohertz sine tone into the microphone at 114 decibels. You tell Rumi Q Wizard, I'm playing 114 decibels of one kilohertz into this microphone. And then because it knows exactly what that is, it um, uh, can account for a bunch of other shit. Basically, it's just a way to calibrate your microphone t- to a, so it can be as accurate as possible. Um, but in the manual, it says... Uh, beware if you're like 2000 feet above sea level that hertz will be 0.1 hertz off and huh. so in in denver where you were like 6000 feet almost up yeah yeah i'm in boulder so be, i'm actually uh just over 6000 i think yeah so it could be it could be conceivably almost half a hertz out which is like almost audible yeah something to do with uh yeah depending right on like what note you're playing right the whole logarithmic thing but Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, also, man, yeah, some, yeah, yeah, temperature as well. Like temperature affects like speed of sound and all that stuff. And speed of sound has a lot to do with frequency as well. I think. Yeah. Oh man. Could you imagine, uh, a future with like, uh, space colonies that have like different air pressures and stuff that like different kinds of music work in, you know, imagine, just like some, imagine the way that other colonies made music is they just played you like white noise out of a giant set of speakers and the way that they changed the sound that was coming at you was by changing the air pressure in the room really quickly whoa fuck that'd be be fucked and and like any human that went in there would just like explode instantly or something but yeah that's why you you drop your task cam in there and leave it running (laughs) And see yeah. what the fuck comes out of it. Yeah. That'd be an interesting ass way to make music. I don't know if that would make any sense. Man, I like it's it's something about like the interface between the ears and the air and the vibration and the fact that they they aren't static. No points in that are static, actually. It's a bunch of non static points all meeting together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the most intense set of vectors ever just like creating a bunch of randomness and yet somehow that like anything can happen that like feels right to the person doing it producing these vibrations that then also feels right in a similar way to other people is just kind of amazing you know that like 
we can get like shared emotions off of air pressure waves and everything. Oh man. Yeah. Speaking of shared emotions, how, how have you felt about like the online DJ set versus sort of the in-person one? Cause I feel like in, in person DJ sets, like a big portion of what makes them really cool is everyone's experiencing the same full body experience. Plus yes. everyone is like in the same area experiencing the same thing. So yeah, you lose, it's immersive. Um, yeah, you lose a lot of the like everyone connected experiencing the same thing type thing when you're uh, doing an online set. But yeah, how, how have you felt about those? Have you done any? Or Yeah, I've done a few. I think there's pros and cons. And hopefully uh, in the future, we continue to do both of them. Although I will say uh, that, yeah, you're right. There's something about getting a group of people together, resonating their bodies in a space in time in a way that, you know, you have like some kind of common experience with the sound where, uh, you know, the way that the sound is rigged there is what everybody hears, you know, and um, and the same wave is literally rippling through everybody at the same moment and everything. And uh, it's a shared experience and there's nothing that could replace that. But at the same time, the online thing allows people all over the world to experience something together. And like, uh, also, you can like talk, you know, it's like I, I don't like talking to people standing in front of a large rig of speakers blasting my face. You know, I want to be like maybe... Uh, you know, closing my eyes, dancing or something. And, uh, I mean, it's hard straining the voice in the ears to like, Hey, what did you do last Thursday? But like in the chat room, you know, um, some of the sets that have been like pre-recorded, for example, um, some of them have, some of them haven't, uh, I've been able to say like sit in the chat room and like talk about the sounds in each track as they're going by and get people like engaged with that, like tell little stories, like while the tracks are going by and you can't do that on stage, like in a way that doesn't ruin the music, you know? Um, that's been an interesting thing. Just, I like tend to have like a lot of like threads of like personal experiences, like gathering sounds from collaborators in different, different places, using the field recording mic and everything, um, that like make up my composition process. And it's fun to get to talk about sometimes because most of the time that stuff is just like textures that they add to the song maybe, but you don't really think about them. And Hey, some people like to, uh, hear about that stuff. Right. Yeah. It is interesting to hear about that stuff because sometimes, yeah, like you said, you can just write it off as like, oh yeah, it's a bunch of effects noises, you know, could have just come from a sample pack or whatever. But, um, if you like hear someone talk about, uh, you know what it is, they're like, oh, that's, you know, for instance, it could have been that guy's bell that you recorded in Hawaii or whatever. So it has like, like it could be the, the bird singing the morning after your grandmother dies or something like that. Yeah. Um, exactly. So it can have like a lot of personal, uh, connection to you and yeah, that gives you a lot of like ownership over your music and makes it kind of really unique to you and stuff like that. Um, speaking of which, let's talk about your album. Um, yeah. Like I said, I haven't steep dreams. It's called steep, steep, steep dreams. Yeah. Is it about lucid dreaming or it's kind of, I mean, like I think steep, like, uh, like tea and I think steep, like mountains and I think steep, like expensive or dangerous. I think dreams like ambitions or like visions or like, you know, all kinds of things. Okay. So yeah, I mean a bunch of stuff mean a bunch of stuff right um so there's a lot of connection to tea because i mean like you said oh yeah one of the strong tea yeah the track i listened to is called strong tea and you you just mentioned that the title of the album had the word steep in it which is related to tea um what's the connection with tea Uh, i just started drinking a lot of tea about a year and a half ago uh specifically puar like chinese uh like aged large leaf tea that's some of it's older than i am and just has a very particular uh 
It's very different from coffee. Very different from coffee. It's even different from green tea, actually. But uh, but anyway, uh, had a big impact on the music I was writing around like the around the beginning of 2019 and most of that year, especially just kind of switching more to being a tea person. And that just kind of worked its way into some of the names of the tracks I was writing and kind of got uh, out of hand with the puns. I mean, I live like next to some mountains and everything and uh, sitting there drinking tea, steeping it, looking at the steep cliffs outside the window and everything and thinking about uh, gravitational wells and stuff <laughs> like piling on the steepness as well as just thinking about, uh, 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 you know, steep dreams being like, a, you know, kind of like a phrase for like, you know, if you have like an ambition or something that you want to accomplish, that's really hard or really risky or just like, or like costs you a lot, like say devoting your life to music as an easy example or something, it's a steep dream, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just kind of stuck in my head for some reason. Now, uh, at least a couple of friends of mine will, uh, you know, kind of be kind of cheeky and just like use the word steep as like a, like a synonym for cool or something like, Oh man, that's so steep. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, man, that's crazy. I want to, yeah, I want to become a tea person actually. Cause I, I mentioned this to my girlfriend yesterday. I've been like slowly kicking a bunch of addictions. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh man, then I get control I, over your dopamine. Yeah. Well, yeah, I actually eat a, some medicine right now to agonize my dopamine receptors called bupropion. Oh uh, yeah. A well, well beaching, right? Yeah. How do you know about that? I'm a nerd. Okay. Yeah. I take Wellbutrin. Yeah. Um, do you, have you ever taken Wellbutrin? Uh, no, I've read about it though. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that you've read about it. I've read about a lot of stuff. Nice. That's awesome. But yeah, anyway, so, um, the reason I'm taking it is, uh, I've already talked about this on podcasts before, but, um, I was dealing with addiction and turned out the reason, why I feel like I was doing so much drugs in the first place is because I was just perpetually extremely bored. Um, right. Because I just had some issues with dopamine, I guess. Uh, and now so you're on that meditation train, right? Uh, I've been meditating a bit. Yeah. Not as much as I should. I, I do it a few times a week. I should probably do it every day, but uh, yeah, I've, do, you, do you meditate? You, Not as much as I should, but it's yeah. fucking weird. Right. Cause it only takes 10 minutes, but like, you'll think about it and you're like, do I want to like, there's a notification even that shows up on my phone. It's like time to meditate. I'm like, eh, I'll do it in a bit. <laughs> and then I just like, don't get around to it. It's super weird. Cause it's only like 10 minutes every time. But anyway, um, yeah, it's got to have some tools, some right. tools to snap you in. Yeah. Whether so, it's like certain. Yeah. Go on. Sorry. Oh yeah. So, the, so I was talking to my girlfriend saying, um, the next thing I want to kick out of my life is maybe coffee. Uh, mm. and yeah, t- tea is, obviously a great replacement for it but um how would you describe Fantastic. yeah how would you describe the difference because you, you you said it's very different uh to coffee and very I assume different. You've, you've been a coffee drinker in the past so i've uh, been a coffee drinker since maybe i was 11 years old oh, wow. always coffee in the kitchen um yeah so it's been a thing like i for a long time have been a person who would wake up in the morning and make a french press first thing like still barely seeing out of my eyes just make up a French press and drink the whole thing and then go back to bed for a couple hours, wow. wake up and do it again. And then maybe get to work, you know, where the, the, the adenosine receptors are just like so overabundant at that time. And like, you, you can't put enough coffee down your throat to like clog them all, you know? And then, uh, you just feel tired and shitty all the time. And that's obviously not the place to be. Um, that 
that is what we call an addiction. And, you know, you want to have like some amount of control over how that affects your life, right? Well, uh, so I found over the years, a lot of times I tried to quit coffee and I would be successful for a day to a week or two, somewhere between that, you know? And as soon as I drank it again, I would know I was going to have more soon, you know? So it's funny, like for all the times I've like smoked tobacco, I have never craved it. You know, I've never felt like, you know, there's just been like a lot of times where for some reason or another, I ended up smoking some and I never felt like the next day I needed it. I never like have gone out and bought it in my life a single time. If I drink coffee, uh, I'm probably going to drink it again soon, you know? Um, however, uh, there's ways to mitigate that, right? You could take caffeine directly. You could drink yerba mate or take guarana or some other caffeine source eat a lot of chocolate, try to push it back. I don't know. Right. I saw you um, were drinking a yerba mate there. So you still. Uh, yeah. So right now I am hella wired. I will tell you that as you can probably tell, I mean, uh, that's, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a purist and I did want to be awake for this. Maybe I pushed it a little too hard, <laughs> but, uh, tea, uh, of all the things for some reason has been the only thing that, uh, if I drink it, I can get away without drinking coffee without feeling like I desperately need coffee. I don't know if that's personal to me. I guess it must be. But um, if I sit down and drink tea for spend a half hour just sitting down, like I'm doing it like Gong Fu style. So like a little tiny teapot that you re-steep over and over again, and you just pour little tiny cups and keep drinking them. It kind of uh, forces me to sit down and like come to center and shut up my mind for a little bit and just like settle out. And also it steadily feeds you you know, a small amount of caffeine along with other stuff like L-theanine that calms you down at the same time. And it ends up being more of a mood lifter and less of like a, like overt stimulant, like mm. coffee, where it just like amps you up and uh, maybe just makes you like grind your gears a little harder, makes you feel less tired or something. Whereas with tea, I feel more like it's almost like, a, almost does as much for my mood as it does for my energy while coffee more sacrifices my mood for energy. You know, I, I'd you agree with that, but I also feel like there's some sweet spot with coffee and every yes. single day I know I'm going to go over it and I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so well, I'm the, still drinking it too, but right. having tea having tea helps me to uh, you know not have six cups of coffee a day. Instead, I'll like have one cup. Mm -hmm. And then other than that, if I feel like I need a boost, I'll be like time to sit down and have tea before the next thing. You know, right. or you can steep it like even sometimes I've had it on my desk next to the computer, you know, or just like making little micro steeps while you're working and be like you're render, you're freezing a track and you pour out a little more tea <laughs> and drink it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, for whatever reason, I have an espresso machine just does shots of espresso oh, when yeah, I get up so in the easy. morning. Yeah. I'll instantly just like press the button. It'll like grind it itself. Pour me a shot of espresso. I'll hammer that one in like a second and then just do another one instantly. And I'll yeah. take my time on that second one. And then I'll be sitting there for a while verging on anxiety and I'll be like, yeah, mm, do I do a third one today? And I always go for the third one and it always fucks me. Do you know about L-theanine, the amino acid? So a while ago, I was taking these packets of pills from a company called Onnit, uh, which yeah. is, I guess, Joe Rogan's company and Organox's right. company. And um, that, I think, had L-theanine in it. So I was taking it for a while. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a pretty interesting, it's, it's an amino acid. It's found in tea, in green tea and everything. And uh, um, But you can, like, it. it's really, it's particularly non-toxic. Like, you can take quite a lot of it. And um, 
the basically the worst thing you'll get aside from i guess going insane with it would be like i mean but like, you're not going to like eat spoonfuls of pure l-theanine or whatever but um worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to get a lot of tolerance to it it's like anti-anxiety um it reduces the threat like i guess raises the threshold for anxiety um like almost as well as like xanax and stuff but it's not a sedative it's not a stupefacant it doesn't slow you down um so it pairs really well with things like caffeine that make you anxious as they wake you up because it it makes you less likely to feel anxious or panicky slows down the jitters and everything but doesn't put you down at all so um l-theanine in espresso is like fantastic you know uh, cause it's so you just, just buy yeah, it, it as like a powder form powder, just put yeah. it in your espresso and it, yep. is it tasteless? It basically tastes like really weak powdered sugar. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I would not notice it mixed in anything. Interesting. Yeah. So hmm, I could do that or I could just stop at two coffees and just drink. Green yeah. Green I mean, that's, that's, that's good too. You know, it's nice to have a variety of options in my opinion. Honestly, the L-theanine thing has come in handy for like high pressure gigs and stuff like that, where you just like, don't want to like feel panicky, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. See, so for me, I historically have always used alcohol for that, but oh, it's, right. uh, I've... it's another one of the addictions I'm trying to kick, which oh, I'm nice. actually, yeah, you won't miss it. Honestly, you won't miss it. Yeah. Is that something you've quit? Oh, no, it's just something I've never, it's never been really a part of my life. And uh, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. And I just see the way that it affects people's lives. And it's just like something that, yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I never saw my parents drunk. Maybe that had something to do with it, you know, like yeah. bless yeah, my, them uh, for that, you know. Yeah, my dad was an alcoholic, unfortunately. He still is, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's like a, yeah, it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. But it's, it's really... Um, it was so normal for me to just, uh, it was normalized to ha- like basically he for his whole life has like told me like, yeah, you get to, you know, 3 PM in the day and you start drinking to like wind down slash, you know, if you do all of your work in the day right. then it's like a reward thing sort of, or like, right. and, and this is not just like his opinion. This is the opinion of like a lot of people, most Australians. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I kinda, all, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of Americans too. Right. So, um, uh, I kind of grew up in this culture uh, slash also just this was in my household um, of that was just the normal thing to do. And I didn't really get into alcohol until I was like over the age of like 21 at least. Or you know, in, in Australia, you can start legally drinking when you're 18. Um, but I didn't, I didn't get really into alcohol until I was like maybe in my early 20s, like 22, 23 or something. And then it just like slowly ramped up in my 20s. And now I'm in my early 30s and I'm like, oh, I got to stop this shit. Yeah, I feel you, man. Well, one of the benefits, too, of, uh, you know, uh, you know, having, uh, I don't know, like clarity and control over like a relationship to something like that is that it's possible. It's possible to uh, say like if you really have control over it and I'm not suggesting people who are recovering alcoholics, like go out and do this as a strategy. But if you really have control over it, like you can have like a beer and have it be a celebration and special moment and feel really warm and fuzzy about it. And like, and that is enough, you know, and that can be said about a lot of things. It's, this is not specific to alcohol. It's not even specific to substances, you know, but, um, but uh, it quickly becomes, something that takes a lot more from you than it gives right. when it but goes I, very far beyond that point, you know? 
Yeah, but I don't think I just have that problem with alcohol, right? I think I have that, that right, right. problem with everything. Like we're just talking about coffee, for instance. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those one. things where I'm like, oh, should I do another one? And then I'm like, of course I'm going to do another one. <laughs> and uh, I'm like that with music too. It's like, um, should I stay up until... Healthy outlet. Well, kind of, but not sometimes not, right? Because like uh, sometimes I'm like, hmm, should I go to bed at, right now? It's 11 p.m. Or should I stay up until 11 p.m. tomorrow night just working on music and at the end of it i'll have you know some results some finished music but i'll you know damage my serotonin and my dopamine yes. and my body in the process <laughs> and you know I'm, I'm quite more often than not the answer to that question when i ask myself will be like yeah sure why not I stay up for, for 24 hours working on music Sometimes it ends up being worth it. Something priceless happens. And other times, you know, other times you just wear yourself out. And usually it's a combination. Most, most times you wear yourself out. Uh, but, you know, it's like a, a gamble, I suppose. It's the same. Uh, I've had the same justifications with uh, substances and alcohol a bunch of times right, as well, right. right? Where it's like, should I do these things and go to the studio? Or should I just go to the studio sober? Or should I just go to bed? And I always make the worst decision. I feel like. Uh, well, I guess they can't be the absolute worst of all the possible decisions, considering you're here now, considering whether or not you even made the right decisions and everything, you know, able to even think yeah. about it and project forward into the future about how you're going to adjust your behavior in order to like make the most optimal path forward, you know, which, right. hey, could be a lot worse, right? Here you are. Here we are doing our thing. I've just kind of adjusted my... uh my schedule lately since I'm kind of stuck at home to uh, the fact that I'm kind of an insomniac, especially with like the nighttime and feeling creative and everything uh, where I've been basically waking up in the afternoon and like just always seeing the sunset and then like working on music all night and then seeing the sunrise before going to bed. Mm -hmm. And then I just, I feel like I'm doing the thing where I'm staying up late later than my bedtime you know, which is something that's historically in my development as a person been a great time to write music. Uh, but I'm kind of just making that my schedule for a while. Right. It'll probably change eventually, but here we are. Do you feel like it has any sort of um, psychological impact on you having that sleep schedule? Yeah, it, it um, you know, it's it's a very introverted thing, you know. There's only a few select people other than people on the other side of the, the other side of the world and everything who are like regularly awake during that time. Um, it's definitely a time to like be with your thoughts. Um, definitely. Uh, it's a, like a time to just like reach out into the unknown. I have this like image in my head of how like at night, if you're standing or sitting up, your head is like pointed away from the sun. You're kind of like oriented with your compass pointed out into like the vastness of interstellar space and everything. And that's like when you, when all the, like the big like abstract ideas come through and like when you can really just like there's a lot of like exploring and like all that can happen whereas like during the day i feel more like oh, right, but i don't the, know the earth isn't a convex or flat it's round right so right, even right. if you're laying on the ground five kilometers in the distance you're pointing into space as well right right just kind of like this image uh i'm not saying like i believe per se that this is a very specific connection between this thing and the experience but just that uh more like a romantic it, idea or something yes 100 percent. but that's a lot of times those romantic ideas push creativity forward as long as you remember what they are you know yeah, yeah. but uh man uh then like during the day your head's like pointed more like towards the sun right so it's like your feet 
kind of pointed out out of the solar system, you know, mm-hmm. and there's just kind of this uh, yeah, whole different, like more like a rooted kind of more uh, like pragmatic way of being that happens during the day. That's just like, it's good for getting certain kinds of work done and it's, you know, good for extroverts. <laughs> yeah, man. But, I've always considered myself more of an introvert. Um, but through quarantine, I'm not even, I'm not sure that I am. I mean, I, I definitely, uh, miss socializing a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think I do okay by myself. Um, and I get a lot, uh, one, I think trait of introverts is you get a lot out of like meaningful long conversations with singular people versus like yes. small talk in you know, big environments with lots of people. Or Just buzzing around talking about last Thursday. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know who knows. Um, that reminds me, uh, do you know about last Thursdayism or last yes. Thursday? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course. It's, it's the truth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, birds aren't real either, by the way. What's, what's birds that? aren't real. They're, what's uh, that idea? yeah. Birds are actually, uh, like government spy drones that, you know, that's why that, why the COVID started was cause they had to change the batteries in the birds. Oh, know? right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, so you probably hear, a lot more dumb shit than I do because you're sort uh, of surrounded by not that people <laughs> in this scene are like dumb but they, they do come up with a lot of creative no there's just enough ideas. of them to make it apparent it's not your average right. person it's right yeah that's a good point um what's outliers. like the, the dumbest shit that you hear beyond say like flat earth and changing batteries and birds and stuff like that oh man <laughs> shit man um I mean, during a pandemic, the germ theory thing really does like the germ theory is a hoax thing really does kind of take the cake. But, um, man, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess this could like quickly devolve into just goring people's oxes, you know, man, <laughs> yeah, right. or like any, any vaxes and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I like, uh, I've, I'm like, uh, maybe not like 100% on this like hard thing to say conversations like this on one side or the other with that. But I lean towards vaccines are a really important part of, you know, human survival to this point in time, Hundred percent, you know, and no that, you know, question. there was, there's maybe like some that are more superfluous than others and some that are better tested than others. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, and I could see why somebody who was like directly connected to somebody who had some kind of complication would be like passionate about, you know, thinking a different way about it. And then also you compare those numbers to the number of people who've died of smallpox and it's just not even a, not even a debate. Right. Yeah. I mean, speaking of germ theory, uh, one cool thing about this year and everybody being so conscious about germs and stuff like that is that I've only been sick once. And that was in Isn't that amazing? January through March when I was uh, touring, right? Uh, generally I get sick like once a month almost when I'm touring because I'm just constantly coming into contact with new viruses and shit because I'm always on airplanes. Yes, me too. I get man. sick like at least, yeah, every other month or so. It's insane. And this year it's been good. Yeah, I haven't been sick once. Kind of amazing, man. Um, yeah, I've noticed a difference too. And I noticed that um, it's hard for people to like uh, I mean, understandably, we're, we're a social species. We're not all super in control of ourselves or even super self-aware, like on average, like we're amazing beings, but we have a lot of blind spots and things like viruses really prey upon our instincts. And a lot of people like feel like 
uh, especially like people in like the new age community feel like their instincts are kind of like, you know, like the cream of the, of the crop of like their, of their compass. Like that's their instincts are like the only thing they'll listen to. And sometimes your instincts are wrong. And sometimes there, there are even predators of various kinds, human, viral, otherwise that will prey upon, you know, your, your instincts. And one of those instincts is socialization and, uh, it's, it's there for a reason, but that's also the only way this thing spreads. And, uh, man, um, so we're in this giant, like collective, you know, that like psychological experiment of like people at different stages of like childhood development. Well, do you want the big candy bar later or the small candy bar now? Right. We're in this massive, like, do you want the small candy bar now and possibly kill some bitches or big candy bar later? And people are still like small candy bar now. And it's kind of <laughs> blowing my mind. Um, I'm doing a lot of face palming, you know, but uh, what am I going to do about it other than try not to spread it myself, stay home and write a bunch of music, you know? Yeah. Speaking of which, um, where can people go check out your new album? Is Bandcamp like the main place that you try to get people to go? Probably the best. It's on Spotify and everything too. Uh, Bandcamp's a good way to directly support somebody. And if you're just going to stream it, then hey, Spotify is good too, you know? Um, uh, is it but, just uh, Oh, so, so Aerothyme. Aerothyme. Oh, uh, so this is. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Um, there's another guy actually <laughs> called Eurythmy. This guy Chris. Um, yeah. Okay. So I've, good dude. Okay. Right. Totally. Yeah. It's hilarious. Honestly, we've had this long running thing. Uh, like, I, even though we've only seen each other in person like once or twice, like uh, about like what it, what it would take to like if we combined our names together, it'd be like Eurythmothymy or something. You know, yeah. <laughs> could just like put some music out under that name. Nobody can mm-hmm. say either of our names anyway. Whatever. You know. Yeah, for some reason, I I think um, I've heard the word Eurythmy said in the scene a bunch of times, and then I assumed that you were him, I guess. By the way, that guy makes sick music, too. I've I've (laughs) met him, actually, and I don't... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember what he looks like, because I met him, like, one time, so I assumed you were the same person, but good to know that... that That's hilarious. I love it. Yeah, this whole time I thought I'd been talking to Eurythmy, this guy I met once. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you need to, like, get Eurythmy on on the show and call him Aerothyme. You know? Oh, there we go. Yeah. That's a good yeah. idea. Just uh, make the whole thing come full circle. Yeah. Would it make sense because he has the Y on the end? Yeah. I know. Whereas, like, you have the E on the end, so it's almost That's right, like yeah. it could be. Yeah, but E R O E R O T H Y M E dot bandcamp dot com. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Steep dreams. Yep. Sick. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. Of course, man. Yeah, I'm going to go make a pizza. Um, I have a. Sounds like a noble cause. Pizza. Yeah. Um, yeah, just before this podcast, I went for a bike ride, and it's like the first exercise I've done in months, I feel like. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel fucking super hungry. And also, this bike oh, yeah. ride fucked me, man. Like, I don't think I've ever finished an exercise session and felt like I was going to pass out, but that's how I felt today. Uh, yeah, definitely time for some calories, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shit, it's funny. I actually, like, uh, man, I listen to this podcast a lot, by the way. I had, like, a whole list of things I totally, like, want to talk with you about (laughs) we only touched on a couple of them that's just how it goes man you know um and this you know flow of conversation is not always entirely predictable but uh shit uh i like the halftime ep just want to throw that out there it's good thanks yeah Yeah. i'm writing another album at the moment so i'll send that through when it's done but um word yeah i'll uh we should yeah we should do this again maybe we should get you with me on next time though so it's like aerothyme and you with me 
That would be so funny. <laughs> um, you could even, you could put a, you know, alternate letter from each of our names, like as a, you're yeah. interviewing hero or your rhythmo time. Me. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> it would just be like a big echo. It'd be like, someone could throw on beat repeat. Like every time somebody says either of our names. Right. Fuck yeah, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, yeah, I look forward to listening to the album in full. And I also uh, look forward to chatting with you again. You're obviously a really thoughtful and nice person to talk to. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you. Um, Thanks for everything you've done for the scene. You're a legend. Good talking. See you next time. Fuck yeah. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded twice a week by Robert Fumo of 303podpro.com. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you. (laughs) 